This is DMOU, Destination Marketing Organization University, the DMO Sectors Podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Geist. DMOU is where you hear the best and the brightest in the destination marketing space, sharing innovative and compelling stories to inspire you to take your destination and organization to the next level. The format for our conversations on DMOU is elegantly simple. It's three questions and a bonus round. And this episode is sponsored by 26 Digital, a full-service agency that offers integrated marketing solutions exclusive to the DMO world, as well as members of travel, tourism, and hospitality. Dave Serino, Brian Matson, and the 26 team assist DMOs with developing measurable and successful digital marketing strategies through specialized solutions to elevate the overall understanding, strategic direction, and tactical implementation of impactful campaigns. You can learn more at 26Digital, that's all letters, no numbers, 26Digital.com. And now on to our show. Our guest today is our friend and fellow DMO sector instigator, David Peacock. Leveraging the experiences, skills, and visionary leadership from a well-documented previous career as a senior executive in international television and electronic media, David Peacock built one of Ontario's regional tourism organizations from the ground up. Under his leadership, Regional Tourism Organization 4, otherwise known as RTO4, has been recognized as the petri dish of tourism development in North America by the Canadian Tourism Commission. Why? Well, it's because David, like us, always asks, why? Why do you do it that way? David questions every process and supposition, enhances what is working, and builds a better machine. David is well-regarded as a thought leader in regional tourism and has spoken at high-profile industry events such as the Canadian Tourism Marketing Summit Panel on Marketing Alignment, the Ontario Tourism Summit's Panel on U.S. Marketing. He was a keynote presenter at SOMET North America and a panelist on the issue of future destination marketing and the visitor experience at the Tourism Industry Association of Canada's Annual Congress. Earlier this year, David was asked to lead and develop the Future Tourism Group at SimpleView, and that is just one of the reasons that he is here today. David Peacock, welcome to DMOU. Good morning, Bill. It's really great to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, until recently, we've been kind of circling each other, right? Watching each other's work, uh, disrupting the status quo, brothers in arms, and it was just a matter of time before we would collide in a good way. And thank you for inviting me on the uh, Future Tourism Group uh, podcast a couple of months ago. It was a it was a fun conversation. You know, as we mentioned in the introduction, you have been asked to head up this initiative, the Future Tourism Group. Tell us how you arrived at this place and the vision that you and Ryan George have for this think tank. So, and I think you said it really well in your intro, Bill. The, the Future Tourism Group is essentially a tourism development incubator to make tools. It's a vehicle purportedly so that industry leaders can collaborate and identify and develop tools to address the issues we press. So 10 years ago in Ontario, um, we were looking at our, our place in the world and we realized that in Canada, we would score in the top three consistently as a, as a destination of choice for world travelers. But when we measured conversion, we were down somewhere below 17, somewhere sometimes as low as 22, 25. And the question was, why? Why are we, why are we scoring so well as a travel intent and not scoring so well as a travel conversion? So we built regional tourism offices. That's uh, an experiment that's been tried in many places in the world. And we started to tackle that problem. And at RTO4, we really you know, went through three phases. There was the initial research where we developed measurement systems. We wanted to see what had worked in the past and why. And we wanted to see if we could measure the influence of our um, 
efforts to change that situation. So we developed measurement systems that would identify high yield activities or high ROI activities. And we focused on those ROI activities having legacy value outcomes. And this all happens in the middle of the first wave of disruption. So you can imagine we had a number of new digital tools at our fingertips and we were able to measure campaigns against um, destination development initiatives. We were able to measure advertising against infrastructure development. So in the current phase at RTO4, and, and I left there, as you pointed out this year, they're really working on rapid development and testing and implementing of tools to leverage the opportunity of the second wave of disruption. And I call it the second wave because I personally believe we are entering a second phase of digital disruption where the technologies we have created to date, they're truly amazing technologies in the world, not, not specific to tourism, but we're only just beginning to adapt them to the infinite number of opportunities and scenarios that we have in tourism. And then you, you add COVID and that changes everything again because we have to adapt quicker. So Ryan, George, and I met on the board of Destinations International uh, about five years ago, and we started talking about the same thing, which was the pressing need for tools and processes for destination management organizations in order to be able to execute some of these improvements, digital and otherwise. So you said there's the second wave is impending. Was that second wave going to happen regardless of COVID in your eyes? Wow, that's a great question. Yes, yes it was, but it was going to happen okay. considerably slower. So you were a guest on the, the Future Tourism podcast, and you mm -hmm. really made a great contribution to that whole idea that really we're facing, you know, five or six major trends in, in tourism that aren't going away and have been here. Stakeholder alignment, the, the need for that, you know, Destination Next very clearly articulated that destination strength was achievable, but only through stakeholder alignment. Community shared values. Jack has done a tremendous job at Destinations International of identifying community shared values as one of the most pressing issues in tourism. Destination alignment is a subset of community shared values advocacy on behalf of the DMO for what its own role is in that world. And then the whole question of what is the role and function of a destination organization when it comes to destination development. And then the final piece, what do we do in the face of disruption? All of those things were, I would call them trends, you know, in the last five years, they bubbled up, they've got various champions. And I see you as a champion for one of them, Bill. I mean, when we go back and talk about what happened at Monona Terrace, your work on stakeholder engagement, alignment, and advocacy, you know, is probably 15 years ahead of the curve. What's happened in COVID is interesting. And I think it was Dan Holowak at um, CrowdRiff who said it really well. All of the advancements we were going to make in the next five years have likely been crammed into 18 months as we restructure and, and reform our organization. So all of these five things, which we called yeah. trends, engagement, yeah. alignment, advocacy, disruption, development, I think they've become latencies. We must deal with them right now. And that's what COVID-19 has thrust upon us. The necessity to take these things that were going to influence our future in five or 10 years and actually work them into the plan now in the next 18 months. Yeah. You know, as the whole COVID thing happened, and I've said this before, you know, those first two or three weeks, what we witnessed DMOs do, and they did it organically. I mean, it was almost a knee-jerk reaction that they instantly dove into pivoting from an outward 
marketing focus to an inward marketing focus and more of a, a handout to help you know local restaurants and attractions and retailers keep their doors open. And no one was prepared to do that, and yet they did. Obviously, we talk to our DMO pro friends all over North America, you know, on a daily basis. And I was fascinated when I was talking to some of the DMOs when they said, well, we didn't do that. Right. We don't have the capacity to do that. And, you know, my heart went out to them because I understand, you know, the small market DMO that doesn't have the capacity. But one wonders at this moment in time, are they relevant? Whereas the ones who immediately pivoted, which is the majority, are absolutely relevant today and are in a position, I think, to make the changes you're talking about. Well, I think it's a really brave thing for you to say, and it's not super popular if you're you know, in, in one of the destinations that isn't finding itself particularly agile. You know, and, and I said this in a piece that we wrote a, a few weeks ago, a DI Jack Johnson threw down the gauntlet in a big and unambiguous way. And his challenge to all of us was so straightforward. It was changes destination organizations, change significantly, change quickly, or as you said, face irrelevance. Yeah, absolutely. So the Future Tourism Group was just starting to pick up steam when the response to the global pandemic was to put a fork in face-to-face -face interaction. And that's, that's how you imagined this all to be, is this, this, this big think tank of all of us getting together. So you pivoted. Uh, tell us what you did next and how every DMO pro can benefit from the conversations that you've already started. Well, and thank you. That is a great question. We were having high-level conversations with leaders about the tools we were working on at SimpleView. Um, but we're also having those conversations about the tools that we'd like to develop in the future. And, you know, all of those conversations one-on-one -on -one were fascinating. One night I was going to bed and I just had this moment, this light bulb in my head, and I remembered my broadcast days and said, you know, we built an entire TV station. It was created around showing people behind the scenes, showing them the making of television as well as the television shows themselves. And it was a huge success. And we learned from that. This is like back in the 1990s. We learned that people like to see how things are made and where they come from and they yeah, appreciate it and they start to think about it. So we just said, well, wait a minute, why don't we stop having these conversations one-on-one? -on -one? Why don't we record them and share them in an unmediated way across the country? And it has been really remarkable because what I realize is the conversations you and I had, the conversations Greg Oates or Jack or, or Signe Jungerstedt or Mike Gamble and I had, those are conversations that you will often have as Bill Geist with the CEO or the, the senior vice president suite at a destination, but it generally doesn't happen at a level below that. And what I've got a lot of feedback from over the last couple months is the people who, who make up the bulk of our working staff, the people who do the development of the destination are so happy to actually be let in on those conversations. And they're also really appreciative of just how much is on the CEO or the EVP's plate when they realize that they're constantly having to think about where will we be in the future? How do we get to five years? How do we get to 10 years? What's not just the plan and strategy, but what's the goal? So I'm, I'm, I'm seeing some great examples of that, but the stuff that comes out in the podcast is brilliant. I mean, Greg Oates really early on echoed something you said at the beginning of this. He zeroed in on the fact that destinations that were building intentional networks outside of traditional tourism stakeholders were faring quite a bit better. And he went on to articulate how Fort Worth had done some great work. I mean, Jack's work talking about destination organizations and the necessity to change, it is just 
so great to sit there and listen to him for 30 minutes in his own words articulate why this is so important to us. And you're struck with how much, you know, all of these people care about this industry. Bill, your work talking to me about how you got to Monona Terrace, that's the ever-ready bunny of destination <laughs> development stories. Like 50 years in the making and multiple changes. But that's what makes great projects and great organizations. You know, the old saying, you know, anything worth doing is worth doing well. Those kind of conversations would be great. Mike Gamble was brilliant. I, I wanted to talk about, you know, where we were, where we're in positions where we've furloughed and laid off 30 to 50% of our staff. And I, I saw doom and gloom and Mike, you know, at the point of that spear in the, in the talent recruitment world, saw their opportunities and he saw ways that we could change as organizations to get some of this talent from other, other disciplines. And he saw, he saw new roles and functions for DMOs such as, you know, it is likely that we'll have a safety and, and, and compliance kind of officer who makes yeah, makes right. things easy for travelers. It's likely that we'll work. We'll have someone who's working on on equity and diversity in our in our organizations. You know, in the wake of uh, an America that's shifting hopefully radically and quickly in terms of uh, preference for diversity and equity. Absolutely, and you know, it was that conversation with Mike Campbell that he and I had maybe two months ago. We were talking about the boards that we both work with, he in a search capacity, we in usually a strategic planning capacity. And we were kind of riffing on the boards that we just shake our heads and we go, guys, come on. And, and the one constant of the boards that are the most difficult is that they're not very diverse, is that they're all stale, pale, and male, right? <laughs> and the light bulb went on for us at that moment. And we started working on the board diversity white paper that Destinations International has uh, sponsored and has posted. That's excellent work. They are these conversations that we're having and that, that you're putting out and that we hope that we are with DMOU. It's funny that you say that you're getting a lot of response from EVPs and senior management or even junior management. Even junior management. Because, yeah, they're rarely let into these conversations. And we're finding exactly the same thing. We know that CEOs are listening to DMOU, but the comments we get tend to be from not in the C-suite and thanking us for broadening their horizon because they'd never thought of it that way. You were a former television broadcaster as well as mm -hmm. I am. Right. And you can see that whole piece. When we, when we created City TV and let people literally see the cameras being dragged through the building from place to place, show the newsroom, <laughs> yeah. you know, all of a sudden everybody's saying, oh, I, I understand how it's made and I have a comment on it. And, you know, just because our, our juniors are, are in age junior doesn't mean they don't want to think about things if you put it into their head. And I, I find in organizations when the whole staff is thinking about, you know, what's the real future role and function of this organization? It just does better. Yeah. Here's the third question. This is probably the big one for me. So you're identifying big issues. And the question is, and you said this at the outset, you want to build tools and processes, right? What then? Because I think a lot of us can ID what's working and what's not working. But how do we, as a tribe of thousands of subtly different DMOs from a unique collection of destinations, how do we agree on a singular tool or a singular path forward? You know, that, that is the million-dollar question. And I think it's, it's some really interesting work that we've been doing at SimpleView on this one because we looked at the work we did at RTO4, which was, you know, essentially a combination of destination development, stakeholder competencies building, and marketing. 
but we started to realize when we pulled this apart at SimpleView, right now in this industry, given the pressures that we're facing, when you look to develop a tool, it's very useful to have this lens that I call the trifecta, how to have the perfect trifecta. Okay. And it sort of looks like this. Given the fact that in Destination Next Future Study, nine of the 10 trends that are going to impact destination management the most in the next 10 years are all digital. In fact, the 10th one is about marketing and it's essentially digital as well. Given the fact that stakeholder engagement is, is such a critical piece in not just bringing resources to the destination development table, but in aligning those resources. And as Jack would say, creating a world of community shared value, we see the trifecta as this. Right, three questions. Can you create something that aligns and engages stakeholders? And Bill, you can see the obvious value of that. Can it also create legacy value at the operator and stakeholder level? And that so much of what we've done as DMOs is consumable. Marketing is a consumable. It's here today, gone tomorrow. Can we create legacy value at the operator stakeholder level? And that often involves competencies that make them always on marketers for themselves, for example. And can the thing you do have a very high digital coefficient? Because that's the area that we've fallen behind in tourism. So there's the three things. Okay. Can you create something that aligns and engages stakeholders? Does it create legacy value at the operator level? And does it have a very high digital coefficient? When we look at that, we say, okay, we can do all sorts of things, but here's where we see the highest yield because we are future-proofing, we're creating legacy skill sets, and we're improving that digital coefficient. So the stuff we're working on at the Future Tourism Group right now all has a highly leveraged digital component. And, and that was the attraction of joining SimpleView. When, when someone says, look, you're working in this world of, of destination development, how'd you like to work with the most powerful software company in the world in the sector? And, I, you know, it's like, well... If that software company wants to work with the leaders in this industry to develop phenomenal tools, then I'm all in. The answer is yes, right? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And when you look around us, essentially, you've seen echoes of this or pre-echoes of this before. I mean, right. I mean, EIC 20 years ago was being done by various small research groups, but it wasn't a standardized tool. So the economic impact calculator, when it comes forward, is the realization of that same thing. Can we create a legacy value tool that has highly digital coefficient and helps and impacts the stakeholder? In the EIC cases, there's the individual stakeholders, there's the civic and city entities, et cetera. And then I'll throw one final one at you that you really got my attention with. You, you interviewed Julie Hart on the show mm -hmm. and you talked specifically about the pressing need for diversified funding models. Right. And that's been now, ever since I heard that, I hear it everywhere. And I, I heard Jack talking about it. I hear, I, especially in my one-on-one -on -one conversations with CEOs, as we talk about recovery planning for destinations. And I hear consistently, how do we change our funding models? And I've put it to you as a question that sounds a bit obtuse at first, but what are the tools that will make that easier in the next 12 months? Because we're going to have to get better at diversifying our funding models. And I have some ideas on that, but the starting point is that question. Are we at a point where we can create tools to take this thing that's generally done, you know, almost like magic by compelling leaders who really, you know, dig their fingers in and next thing you know, they're, they're doing new funding models. It's got to become productized in a tool before the bulk of DMOs can even use it. Yeah. And I think that tool is going to be how to communicate a value of something that is yet unattempted. 
and everybody knows my affection for what Ray Hoyt has done in Tulsa. In fact, he was just a, a recent guest on DMOU to talk about what I'm calling the Tulsa model. And that is, he made a case to corporate Tulsa that I can help you with your biggest pain point. And that pain point for them is workforce development, because if you've never been to Tulsa, there's kind of an image, right? Or at least there used to be an image that Tulsa was, yeah, whatever. It's kind of beige, right? Did you, are you going to say, you're going to say tumbleweeds? Is that what you were going to say? Yeah, tumbleweeds, man. You know, right? But, but actually, one of the consultants that he used early on uh, that did a destination assessment for him came back and said, your town is beige. <laughs> and, oh, my. and that made the city, the community just crazy. And it really spurred them into, okay, we got to do something about this. And so corporate Tulsa took that role and, and ran with it. And so in every other community, is there the same pain point? And so I think what we need to have is a tool that we can go to other revenue streams and say, we can fix your problem. We can handle this. Let us be the marketer for the community, for all purposes, all reasons, to all people. And if we can get to that and be able to prove that we're going to be able to, as the Longwood study clearly showed, that a 30-second tourism ad encouraged site selectors to be more interested in investing in a community. With that, how can we take a small town or even a midtown? Yeah. That's my question for you, is the scalability of this. Because I think whatever we can create for big cities will be easily transportable. But how do we scale it down for a small town? But that's the tool piece because what stops the smaller destinations and, and you know, in America, we talk about tourism being the 80-20 rule, you know, 20% of destinations account for 80% of the business. Most DMOs in America, the bulk of them exist below the $3 million range in terms of annual operating budget. Right. They can't go out and hire the consultants who come in and do the, you know, the one-off right. brilliant destination plan, alignment piece, get everyone in the room. They need tools. And, and I think that's one of the things that I was so impressed with about DNext was not just its ability to discern what people thought, but its ability to act as the tool that got the people in the room to talk about the problem. Once you productize it, then smaller destinations can use it. I saw David Holder posted this this week about uh, a pivot that yeah. he's made. They're going to look at measuring and finding ways to articulate the value of the destination management organization. They're going to put their thinking caps on and focus in on that. There's so many small destinations that need that. They're doing great work, but they are not sophisticated in articulating their value. And then it's really hard to get to the next step you talked about, which is, you know, let us be the, the safekeeper and, and guardian of this. Yeah. One of the first set of tools is indeed, let's get the tools that let destination organizations in a credible way articulate their value. Marsha Walden said it really well, you know, coming out of her interview on Destination BC, we're looking to our communities for a social license to operate. To get that license, we've got to give them certain intelligence. Yeah, absolutely. So, Given that we kind of had this hiccup so that you couldn't put your think tank together in a room, but you are coordinating the think tank through the podcast, give us a timeline. When can we begin to see some of the fruits of what uh, you, Ryan, SimpleView, and the Future Tourism Group are going to be doing? So it, it's happening now, and it's happening in select small pockets. If you if you look around the country, we, we're working on digital influence. So one of the things is measuring the digital influence of a destination, taking a voyeuristic view from outside the destination, and looking at it in terms of its constituency. So 
you know, in a given destination, a small destination like Stratford, there might be 350 operators who make up the mosaic of the tourism operators. Traditionally, over the past two decades, you know, that the focal point of Stratford tourism was the website that was run by the DMO. Well, the truth of the matter is, mm -hmm. in a modern world, the consumer, you and I, our wives, our husbands, our partners, you and I use this handheld device and we search and investigate and research tourism completely different than we did 10 years ago. And you've heard me tell you this before. We don't watch TV like we did a decade ago right. at all, yep. completely disrupted. We certainly don't buy music the way we did. And, you know, there's, we have no hard media anymore in music. There's no more, you know, albums. There's certainly no more CDs and, and, and it's completely changed. And we don't consume tourism. It's no longer difficult for us to find intelligence on a destination. In the old days, it made perfect sense that the DMO website had to be a cornucopia of everything because it was the only thing doing that. Now we are inspired by images. We're checking other travelers' references for reviews. We've got tools like TripAdvisor. So the, the digital footprint of a destination is made up by every one of those channels for every one of those of every one of those operators or stakeholders. So in a town like Stratford, even just taking a hundred data points, you got 30,000 different data points that are digital about 300 plus operators. You know what? They can all be improved. I'm a big believer in a process we developed early on at the RTL called hygiene first, like so many of our tools and our things in our homes, you know, 90% of the things that we have work well, but 10% of them don't and they need fixing. Digital fixing is one of the most efficient and effective ways to increase the digital presence of a destination. Think about your own experience on websites and, and um, review sites and purchase sites, bad purchase uh, pathways, bad links and bad references, and you're out of there. I mean, we literally will look at our phone and I'm looking at an mm -hmm. average phone load time now when I, when I do scans of destinations in the eight and nine second range, but I sit at home and I'm, I'm in the four and five second range before I'm out of there looking for an alternative to this because it's loading too slowly on my phone. All of those things are fixable. So first point is look at the digital footprint of a destination and determine how yep. you can help fix the things that will make that footprint more robust. And then the other one we're working on is this process called reputation management. There are digital tools out there right now that allow you to take one single listing, for example, and syndicate it across 140 channels, have a simple interface. You know, it's the equivalent of the modern car. Now we get in our cars, turn on our radio and drive away. In the old days, you used to get up early, put the heater on, crank the engine over with a crank. We're in the second phase of this. There's tools that will let us do this more simply efficiency. I mean, eight years ago, you and I were looking at dashboards. What an amazing tool. Dashboards have been yeah. supplanted by 100% interactive Google metrics that you don't need a full dashboard to understand. Those kind of progressions need to, again, end up in the hands of operators, and that's what we're working on right now. But the other thing we're doing is collecting the issues with our thought leader partners, people like you, and saying, okay, Let's sit down together again, though, in a, in a blue sky situation, talk about the tools we need. I, and I think one of the big discussions we're going to have very shortly with the core group is how do we develop the tools that measure the impact of the destination management organization so it can begin to articulate its place? Well, this has been fascinating. And congratulations for doing something that, you know, I think during the go-go past three or four years... I talk to people about, you know, why haven't we made the changes that we know we should have been making in how we do what we do? 
And it's because business was too good, right? It's, it's like, don't, don't touch it. it. It's working. It's working. And yet now is our moment in time because now nothing works. And now we can have these conversations. And I think we can have these conversations throughout our life world. I mean, we're having the uncomfortable conversations about race. We're having the uncomfortable conversations of who leads next. We're having all of these conversations. And I think we need to have a conversation about destination marketing in the broader scheme of community marketing. And I think the tools that you're going to be producing are going to help us get down that path. Oh, oh for sure. And, and, I, and I echo 100% what you said. We all woke up, especially in this crisis, and said, jeepers, we are not as digital as we thought we were. Uh, yeah. Oh, we are certainly not as good as good at articulating our core value to our stakeholders. Oh, we don't actually engage with our stakeholders nearly as much as we kind of wanted to think we did. All of that's been rung home when you're behind your desktop sitting there saying, we should have to move this forward. And, you know, you have to do the re outreach and it has to be meaningful. I think that has accelerated all of those issues that you talked about, especially the, the race issue. Absolutely. It has to be accelerated. So for the 15 or so interviews that you've already completed, and again, thank you for inviting me. I was honored. Where can they find those? If you just go to simpleviewinc.com, there's a, on the front page, there's a link to the blogs. They run some great blogs. Um, yep, they they run one called The Layover Live, which is a technology blog. You'll see the Future of Tourism podcast. There are actually, I think there's almost 20 in there now, Bill. Are there now? And okay. The one I would suggest you go to, if you're new to the, to the site, is go to episode 13. It's uh, an amalgam of the first 12 uh, guests. And that's the one where even it was a bit of an aha for me because that's where those five issues, engagement, alignment, advocacy, disruption, and development all came together. And it, it's just those first 12 guests talking about them in their own words. It's a really fun way to start the podcast. All right. Well, time for the bonus round. You are an active outdoorsman. Uh, hiking, biking, mountain biking, all of it. <laughs> Tell us about the moment in your outdoor experiences when you thought, oh, shit, that's going to leave a mark or worse. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's I, I will, but I want, I want to use it to segue <laughs> to a story that's about tourism. I've had a lot of those and, and it's really, it's really kind of embarrassing. I, I, came to mountain biking late in life and I decided I would play catch up. And I, I have, I've had the luxury of being all over the world. I've mountain biked in the Himalayas, in uh, Andalusia, in the South of Spain, in Peru, off the coast of uh, Portugal, everywhere. And I have crashed and broken things. I think the worst ever was I was following a young kid who was a really good mountain biker in the Azores. And I think he knew the terrain better than me. And I was just trying to keep up with him which was a silly thing for an old guy to do. And we crested a hill that was a drop and it was just 15 feet of pure air. And I looked down, I thought, and I literally, you said, I thought this is going to hurt. Wow. And I went over and I jammed the handlebars under my ribs. I broke two ribs. I cracked my sternum. <laughs> I came home with a bruise from my left shoulder oh, to my shit. hip that looked like a tablecloth. The funniest part of that story was, I did not know I broke my ribs, which is apparently hard to not know. Yeah, right. And when I'm on the plane flying home into Canada, I kept riding for a week and this bruise just kept getting bigger, which I finally, the doctor told me, he said, no, it's not a bruise. Your ribs cracked and just keeps bleeding when you've been. So we're landing in Toronto uh, on, um, in, a, in I think it was like a, 
a310 or something because they're, right. they're not the display attendant sitting across from me looking at me and just as we hit the tarmac in toronto i had to sneeze and i didn't want to sneeze because there's people in front of me so i sniffled my sneeze and you know how you do that and oh my god the pain just shot through me and i grabbed my chest exactly. and the yeah. flight attendant says sir sir are you having a heart attack it's like no no but it feels like it and it was just yeah, and then I got I got home and I went out for dinner with my wife and my daughter. And the next sure. morning I got up and went to hospital. And the doctor looked at me and said, "Like, sorry, you've been walking around like this for a week." And I said, well, "I've been riding around like this for a week." So, live and learn. Anyway, so that next morning, your wife looked at you when you got out of bed and said, "Did you get a tattoo?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. Hey, do you want to tell you a story? It's a mountain biking story, and this is where where, where Bill and I got talking about this. My brother and I like to drive into the northern U.S., northeastern U.S. There's some great mountain biking towns in Vermont and uh, upstate New York. And we had just been to a place called Kingdom Trails, which is an awesome, cooperatively built, landowner shared lease trail system. It, it, it is absolutely fascinating in, in northern Vermont. We were driving back uh, on our way to Ontario, and we stopped in a little town, a beautiful little town, and I'm not going to mention it because it's kind of an embarrassing story, and they were having a car show, a British car show, and the town was busy, and it's you know a really pretty town. And we walked up and down Main Street, had some coffee, and we walked into the destination office, the DMO office, and went up to the desk and said, "Hey, we're just staying in town for the night. You know, do you have a room?" And and the fellow looked at us and said, "Well, there's not much. It's it's classic car weekend. Um, I've got one room. It's four hundred and fifty dollars." And it's up at such and such places. Well, we're just, we're here to mountain bike. And he said, no, that's all I got. And said, okay, you know, understandable. What about mountain biking? And <clears throat> again, he, he didn't really seem to understand us. And he said, well, we got these two ski hills and you buy a pass. And, and I said, you know, we, we don't really do that kind of mountain biking. We do what's called enduro. We go up to go down. He said, well, that's what we got. So I'm there. And I, I didn't identify myself as a, as a destination management person. That would have been rude. My brother said, I'm going to, I'm going to go outside and, mm -hmm. and go to the washroom go down the street. And I said, okay. So I went outside and I sat down and I popped my phone out and I literally went on TripAdvisor. And first thing I looked at was places to stay and there were tons of them. So then I switched over to Google maps and I first place I phone, I said, look, let me be straight up with you. We're mountain bikers. We're here for the night. We just need a room. Anything will do reasonable would be nice. And the guy said, well, we've got a room over the driveway at our hotel and you know, it's got a pull out bed. If you, if you don't mind that, I'll give it to you for less than a couple hundred bucks. And said, that's, that's fabulous. Where are you? He was two blocks away. He was literally. <laughs> so then I started looking at the map again and I realized that of, of the 30 hotels I was looking at, 28 of them had vacancy. Okay. So that kind of, wow. that just left a, yep. just, you know, I, I, as a destination management person, I'm like, geez, that sucks. So then we uh, were driving to the hotel, which was just around the corner and there's a bike shop. So we pop in the bike shop and we said, Hey, we really like enduro mountain biking. Um, we asked at the uh, tourism office, but apparently you, you just got these two big ski hills. And he goes, what are you talking about? He says, where are you staying? And we told him it's just across the street here. And he said, Oh, well then your life's really hard in the morning. You get up, and you go across the street and you enter the trail system. You see that opening right there with a the sign. And you see, yeah. And he goes, it's the best publicly managed single track in the state. It's really great. And so we did. And it was awesome. We had an incredible day. It was amazing. But that night, you know, because we found a room, we found somewhere to mountain bike. We went out, we had a huge dinner. We paid for the room. We bought gas and snacks and breakfast the next day. Probably spent six, $700 total in this town. Despite the DMO. 
Yeah. And if we'd listened to the DMO, we would have yeah. left. And, and, you know, hopefully that's changing. That was about six, seven years ago, but we can't do that. The consumer, it was, it was, um, David Ogilvy from Ogilvy and Mather and Madison Avenue, New York, who said it best. The consumer is not an idiot. The consumer is your wife. The consumer is your husband. And I, I understood yeah. it. It was a beautiful destination office. It was well done. It was clearly membership driven. We just can't do that anymore. And that's the key. I could have told you the minute you started down that path that this is a membership organization that only promotes its members, and that cannot continue. Well, it's it's not credible. The destination loses its credibility, and it and it, it really was yeah, a remarkable destination. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm sure the the organization is a great organization. They've done a great job of building it. It's just you know the consumer is not an idiot. Well, great stories, and uh, hopefully uh, you can. Uh, uh, close out the rest of your outdoor career with no more broken bones. <laughs> I've dialed it back. <laughs> hey, David, thank you for all you're doing for our industry. Your initial work through the video podcasts has been sensational, enlightening. Once again, thank you for the uh, for the offer for me to come on. And yeah, obviously, we hope that DMOU is is just as enlightening in creating a common understanding and a path forward. So thank you for all you do. Hey, it, it's, it's an honor to actually be on. And, and uh, you know, it, it was me asking you to be on first because, again, I think what you have to share and what the other leaders in this industry have to share are the things that are going to drive us forward. So it's a real pleasure. And I do look forward to the day when we can sit down as a group, have dinner, and then do that Blue Sky session on what's next. I am all in on that. That's it for this edition of the Resurrected DMOU. Tell your friends and peers that this is where the best and the brightest get together to tell inspiring stories for DMO pros. Thanks, too, to our sponsor, 2.6 Digital, a full-service agency that offers integrated marketing solutions exclusively to destination marketing organizations and members of the travel, tourism, and hospitality industries. You can find them at 2.6digital.com. DMOPros.com is where you'll find more of our services to the DMO world, plus links to the Z News, the Knowledge Bank, videos, blogs, and the biggest DMO job board on the planet, as well as links to earlier episodes of DMOU. That's DMOPros with a Z. Executive producer of DMOU is Terry White, and this is a production of DMO Pros. I'm your host, Bill Geist. Until next time.